Gospel of John. So open up your Bibles to John chapter 21. Uh, We're going to look at the first half. And then next week, Pastor John will conclude conclude the Gospel of John. I was checking this morning. We've been in the Gospel of John for a year and a half. And even after doing that, I'm like, we could go through it again and not even teach on the exact same thing. Because there's so much to know about the Lord. Even in this morning, the title of this morning's message is Jesus Manifested. And we're going to see who Jesus is after the resurrection. And the great thing is, is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. In a world of things that change all the time and fluctuate, there's one thing that doesn't, and that's our Lord. And so this morning, as we look through it, I I pray that uh, God will speak to you in a powerful way, and you will see how awesome it is that Jesus does not change. And let's pray before we get into this morning's sermon. Lord God, again, we just thank you for all those things uh, that we've prayed for and and even for the unforeseen future, Lord, because you are there. As the psalmist said, wherever he would go, you are there. There is no place that he can hide. There is no things that are there's nothing that's going to happen that you have not already foreseen. And it is comforting and reassuring that you are there in the midst of all those things. And I pray this morning that we would be able to trust you in all things. And again, this morning, as we open up your word and proclaim it, and as the the Apostle John reveals to us who you are once again, I pray, Lord God, that we would see you and thank you for who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. John chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And so let's read this because the first two, the first verse, John actually gives us a little bit of the background on what's going on. He says, after these things, so after Jesus has already manifested himself to his disciples a couple of times, John says, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. So he's going to tell us how Jesus appeared to the disciples. Starting in verse 2, he's going to let us know what disciples were there at this appearing or manifestation of Jesus. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. So if you're keeping track, that's seven. Seven of the eleven disciples were there. And if you're wondering, hey, where's the twelfth one? Well, that was Judas, and he's uh, since in remorse over what he's done to the to Jesus, he's hung himself. So there's only 11 and seven of them are here. So Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on for he had stripped it for work and threw himself into the sea. 
But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out of, excuse me, so when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And there were so many that the net was not, excuse me, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to to the disciples after he had raised from the dead. So as John says, we have the third manifestation of Jesus Christ to his disciples. And as I had mentioned at the beginning, that John is going to show us who Jesus is. And again, it's not that Jesus is going to appear to them in a new way with some with some new teachings. It's the same Jesus with the same message. In a way, this manifestation of Jesus here in chapter 21 is going to recap and and be a restatement of what we've already seen through the gospel of John. So as we go through the text this morning, I'm going to we're going to go back into different verses in the gospel of John as well, because we're going to see all the things that Jesus has already done and said, the miracles that he's performed. John is going to kind of reiterate that. And I'm going to pull five different things from this story to show you how Jesus manifests himself. And again, as I stated in the beginning, that we're going to find out that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So with that said, let's go back to our text and start in verse 3, because John is telling us, hey, this is how Jesus manifested himself to the seven disciples. But before he manifests himself, something needs to happen, just like it has throughout the Gospel of John, and we'll see that in a minute, is that Jesus manifests himself really only to those who know they're in need of him or those that realize that they are helpless without God. And, and let me show you what I mean here in the text. He says, verse, actually go to verse five. He says, children, do you have or you do not have any fish, do you? Now, Jesus being God already knew the answer, right? A lot of times Jesus will ask questions and in scripture you'll see God asking questions to get the person that he's talking to realize the answer. Let me give you an example of this. Turn with me to John chapter 5 and look at verses 5 through 6. As I said, we're going to be flipping around in the Gospel of John, so it's just one book you have to go to. In John chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, remember there was a man disabled for 38 years? And what did Jesus ask him? John 5, verse 5 says this. It says, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him there and knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? He asked him, do you want to get healthy? I mean, who wouldn't say, yeah, I've been sick for 38 years. I think I want to get healthy. Jesus knew that again. The Lord's only going to manifest himself when you realize that you need him or that you need his help or that you're lost without him. Because without that, he doesn't reveal himself. 
Let me give you an example of that in John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41. John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41. And Jesus exchanged with the Pharisees. This is what he says. And Jesus says, for judgment, I come into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who may those who see may become blind. So he's saying those who do not. He came for those who don't see so that they can see and for those that do see so that they can be blind. Now, follow me for a minute. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we we see your sin remains. And obviously we went through this a long time ago, as I said, probably like a year and a half ago. So you might not remember. But the point being is they're saying they think they don't need Jesus. So he says, you're actually blind. It's those people that realize that I'm blind. I need somebody to lead me. I need somebody to open my eyes who Jesus manifests himself to. And again, back in our text in John 21, Jesus is asking the disciples, have you caught any fish? And their answer was no. No, they have caught nothing. And then Lucas says, and he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast and then they were not able to haul in because of the great number of fish. So the first point this morning, as I had mentioned, is that Jesus manifests himself to those who realize they need help. And here, the second point that I'm going to bring up as an application later is that Jesus is manifested to us here as one who gives instructions and helps his disciples achieve their goals. He actually satisfies their need. They needed to eat, and Jesus satisfies that here in verse 6. And as I had mentioned, that he does this throughout the Gospels. Jesus instructs his people how to satisfy not only their physical need, but also their spiritual need. And that's what he was trying to tell the Pharisees. Is they thought they didn't need him, and he says, therefore, you're blind. Again, it's only those who realize that they need God, that's when he manifests himself to them. And so here, again, Jesus satisfies the needs of his disciples. And he, the good thing is that for you and for me and all his disciples in general is that Jesus instructs them how to do this. How do we satisfy our spiritual need in Christ? Well, let's look at two examples from the scriptures in John again. John chapter 4, verses 3 through 14. And look at what he says here. John chapter uh, 4, verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone, this was the woman at the well, by the way. Jesus um, answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of the water will thirst again, meaning just literal water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life or in eternal life. Again, Jesus is talking about spiritual needs. He provides for our spiritual needs. Not just physical. So there's one instance where he does that. Turn over to two chapters to John chapter 6, verse 35. 
In John 6, 35, Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And obviously, he's not talking physical eating and drinking. He's talking about spiritually. So many people are searching for something spiritually, and they're missing it. Jesus says, if you come to me, you will never thirst. You will never be hungry spiritually because he has provided for us. Again, going back to our text, he asked the disciples, have you have any fish? Have you caught it? And they said, no. So he tells them how to do it. My point being is that he tells us how to satisfy ourselves spiritually. <clears throat> Not only that. Um, Jesus came to give us a fulfilling life here and now. It's not just what's to come, which is going to be uh, fulfilling. But what about now? What about having a fulfilled life right now? So many people are searching for for this thing or that that thing to satisfy themselves today. And Jesus says, I've come to do that to satisfy you today. Turn with me to John chapter 10, uh, looking at verses 9 and 10. So Jesus don't, didn't just come for the afterlife or the world to come. He also came to give us life more abundantly, a satisfying life, a purposeful life. In John chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, he says this. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I come that they may have life and have it abundantly, a fulfilled life. I think if we if we if we really sit still and we're by ourselves and our own thoughts, we think about this is we all want a fulfilled, purposeful life. We want to have meaning and happiness in this life. We all know in some sense as believers that we're going to have it in the future. right? I hope you do. But don't you want it now, too? There's nothing wrong with ha wanting to have a good life now, a life of peace. And Jesus says, I can give that to you. The problem is, is you're not going through the gate that I set before you. You're going in another gate. And you're not going to find it there. So, again, Jesus here in John chapter 21 is manifested to us as giving instruction to his disciples on how to achieve their goal and to satisfy their needs. But he's not just concerned with the temporal, he's concerned with the spiritual and the eternal as well. And that's been showed to us throughout the Gospel of John over and over again. And I want to add this. Jesus' teachings and signs and miracles were not just to say, wow, look how uh, that's cool. He satisfied my need. Why did Jesus teach the way that he did? Why did Jesus perform miracles? Why did Jesus perform miraculous signs. They were to demonstrate, according to the Apostle John in this book of ours that we have before us, is to demonstrate who he is, that he is God, that he is deity. So when he does these things, it's meant to help the disciples realize that this guy is more than just a man. He actually is the son of God, the Messiah. They show us who he is. And then it was at this point, going back to our text, that after Jesus tells them, hey, throw the, the net onto the right side, and they do that. Look at verse 7 now, back in chapter 21, what happens at this revelation. 
Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. That is when he knew they knew it was the Lord, because before he was like 100 yards away. So as long as a football field, they see some guy over there saying, cast your net on the right side and they do it. They don't know who it is yet. It is not until that they pull in all the fish, this miraculous catch that they realize this is the Lord. It's the Lord. So that's what John says. He says it to Peter, and I love what Peter does. So when Peter, verse 7, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Usually when you go swimming, you don't have as much clothes, right? The apostle Peter puts on all his clothes and goes swimming for like 100 yards. Because he wants to see the Lord. He realizes it's God. He believes it too, based on what he's heard. And what he has seen, this is the Lord. So he jumps in the sea and starts swimming. What do the rest of the disciples do? Look at verse 8. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Peter just left his, he just left his buddies in the boat. You guys take care of the fish. I'm going to see the Lord. And the other six disciples I think they're rowing. I don't know how uh, fishermen did their thing back then. But they come in the boat. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if they caught up to Peter and they bypassed Peter or not. But they arrive as well. So what happens next? Verse 9. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and the fish placed on the bread. What is John telling us here? I think what we're being told here is that Jesus is manifested as a provider. He didn't need their fish. He had already had fish going on a fire for them. Jesus provides. I think that's what we're seeing here is that Jesus provides for his people. And he provides in a couple of ways. And I mentioned those earlier that he provides for us spiritually. And he provides for our physical needs. He does both. And you notice I said needs, not wants. He provides what we need. A lot of times we, we ask for things that we don't need, and then we don't get them. So let's look at spiritually. How does Jesus provide spiritually for us or for his people? Go to John chapter 3, the famous verse that you'll see at football games. I don't even know if they do it anymore. I know when I was a kid, you always saw John three sixteen behind the goalpost. Do they do that anymore? I don't think so. They're like, get that out of here. John 3.16, look at what it says here. For God so loved the world, this is how he provides, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's how Jesus, our God, provides spiritually for us. He's provided the gift of himself in his Son for us. And remember also in talking with Mary when her brother Lazarus Lazarus had died in John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. 
You remember what he said to Mary? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus has provided for us spiritually. He's already given us that gift. Again, as the disciples came back to land, the fish were already there. And there's a number of things that we could point to how God provides for our physical needs. Just let me give you two. I'm not going to read them, but you can jot these down. In John chapter 2, you remember the wedding at Cana. What had happened? What did they run out of at Cana? They ran out of wine. And what did Jesus do? He told the disciples to fill the the, uh, jars with water, and Jesus produced wine to quench everyone's thirst. How about when he fed the 5,000? Remember all the disciples and and all the people, 5,000 in number, were hungry after Jesus taught? And then nobody had food. Nobody had enough money to provide for everybody. And what happened? Andrew found a little boy with five loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus provided for everybody. I think those are symbolic in a sense that Jesus provides for our thirst and our hunger, physical needs. He provides spiritually with his life, and he provides for us physically for our needs. And again, I think in John chapter 21, This is what we can pull from this manifestation of Jesus Christ. He has the fish there waiting for his disciples when they come in after they've been fishing all night to satisfy them. Jesus is manifested as a provider for his people. Back to our text in John 21. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 now. So when they got out on the land, they saw again the charcoal fire laid and fish placed on it. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. So Peter went up and drew a net to the land full of fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Well, what can we glean from this? If there's already food on the fire, why does Jesus ask them to bring what they have caught? And as I, as I thought about that, it came to my mind that Jesus is going to use what the disciples did to manifest his glory to them. He's like, hey, you go do some work, and I'm going to show you what I'll do with your work. And if you think about that, doesn't he do that throughout the Gospel of John? And as we'll find out in the point of application, he does that with us as well. In a sense, Jesus is saying, hey, bring your offering, bring your talents, Bring your treasure, and I will use them for the kingdom of God. In another sense, he's allowing his disciples to participate in God's work. Because we'll see in a few moments that that Jesus is going to take their fish as well and cook that. So not only does he allow them to serve and use their gifts, it's also, if you think about it, isn't it a privilege to serve God? And to serve his people. God's saying hey. I'm allowing you to serve. I've given you gifts to serve the church. And you get blessed for it. Not just not just the people you get blessed as well. Think about it. God's asking you and and whatever ministry you guys might be in or thinking about doing. And I think about this that I have the awesome privilege 
to teach God's word, to teach God's people. I don't take that lightly. I mean, it's, it's a big honor and privilege that I get to do that. I would be bummed when, I, when, I, when there's a time when they say, hey, Robert, you're kind of old. Uh, you need to step aside. <laughs> Let some of the young guys take over. I'm like, okay, and I'll be, you know, whatever the case may be. I, I won't get, I hope I get to lead the senior study here at the church. I'm going to do something. It's an awesome privilege. And I'm sure if you ask anybody that serves, the people that are worship, that are on the worship team, I hope you look at it as a privilege to lead the people of God to worship God. That's a privilege, right? To get up on stage and, and usher us into the presence of God and lead praises to the Lord God Almighty, that is an awesome privilege. And it's not just these. All Think of all the ministries that, that take place here at church and even during the week. The prayer team on Monday nights, they get the awesome privilege of lifting up our prayers to God. That's an awesome privilege, and that's not seeing. We don't see those things. You see me, you see the worship team and all the stuff that goes on here. Or those who teach our kids, they have the awesome privilege of teaching God's little children God's word or protecting us. You know, we have people out front watching over the church so that we could be in here and not worry about what's going on out there. There's so many things that take place that they're an awesome privilege that God allows us to do that. He doesn't need us to do it, but he allows us to do it. He says, bring your time, bring your talents, bring your treasure, and I will use them to glorify myself. And I think I think that's what we see here with the disciples. He's saying, hey, bring some of those fish which you have caught. He didn't need the fish. He already had fish there. He could bring fish out of nothing, but he allows them to do it. And just thinking, uh, again, going through the Gospel of John and referring back to the the miracle at Cana. Did God need them to fill the water pots? He could have just filled them and just could have had wine come out of nowhere. But he said, no, I want you guys to partake in this and you fill the water pots. And they did it. And he said, hey, Andrew, or the disciples, what do we have to eat? Andrew finds this poor little boy and says, hey, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. We're not told what that little boy said. Usually little boys, they're not, they don't share that often, right? <laughs> I don't know if, the, if Andrew just stole it from him and said, hey, we have these little boys. Like, what do you mean we? <laughs> or maybe the little boy was like, hey, I brought these to share. My mom packed them in my in my backpack or whatever they carried in the first century. And, you know, and he has them. But Andrew was allowed to say, hey, I, I found this little boy. He has five loaves or he, he said he didn't say I found. He's like, all we have is these five loaves and two fish that this little boy has. But then he said, hey, tell everyone to sit down. And so the disciples told everybody to sit down. And, and as you know, the story, they had more than enough. But the point being is that God uses people's times, talents, and treasures to magnify himself. He doesn't need to, but he chooses to do that. And what a blessing and privilege privilege that is. Let's go back to our text again and uh, look at verses 12. So after all this happens, verse 12, Jesus said to them, so he's prepared the fish, he's asked them to get theirs as well. He says, come and have breakfast. 
And none of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you knowing that it was the Lord? So Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them and the fish likewise. So Jesus gives to his disciples what he has provided. So not only are they allowed to participate, but they are the recipients of what God provides. And I think this is just another way that Jesus manifests himself to us. Think of that. Whatever God does, he not only allows us to participate in it, but we are the recipients of its fruit. He could have said, hey, this is my fish. You guys, there's, I started a fire. You guys start the fish with all that you brought in. They had more than enough. But no, he provided it for them. He said, come and have breakfast. And he takes the bread and the fish and gives it to them. If you remember John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, this was John's testimony, our opening testimony about Jesus, about how he provides and he gives or allows you to partake of what he has done. Look at John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. He says, but as many as have received him. Right. So he's given himself to people. And look at what happens to them. He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God gives himself to his people so that we can become the children of God. Just because we're human beings, this is a misconception of the world. Everyone thinks that we are all God's children. No, we are all God's creation. You aren't his child until you are adopted into the family. And you're adopted by believing in him because he's providing something to you. He's given it to you. He's given himself to you. Think about that. You are now children of God if you believe in him. We're partaking of the fruits of God's labor, just like the disciples did. Not only that, I want to uh, show you one last thing in John chapter 10. I told you we were going to go through this gospel. John chapter 10, verses 3 through 9, or three, verses 3 and 9. In this parable, the good shepherd, Jesus describes how we experience what he has provided. John chapter 10, look at verse 3. He says, to him the, door, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep, those are Jesus' children, God's children, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So he's providing for them. He's giving them something. Drop down to verse uh, 9 now. And I've already read this, but now we're going to read it in a different context. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's talking about the devil. He goes, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is providing abundant life to his children. He's leading them out onto the pasture, so to speak. I don't know if you think of a pasture, how peaceful it looks. I know a, a few years ago, we were in Utah and just driving. I forgot where we were going, but we just went out for a drive. And we pulled over and just were taking pictures because it's really awesome country out there. And there was a big pasture and just sheep. It's just so peaceful and so calming and so relaxing. And that's what I picture, that Jesus is just opening the gate for his children, his sheep, 
to go out into the pasture and experience life abundantly. As I mentioned earlier, if deep down inside, all of us want to just have peace in some sense. And so we get to have that because of what Christ has done, because what Christ has provided, just as disciples here get to eat fish that Jesus provided. So let me close with this. As we just go into a time of some application, really just a time of reflection for each and every one of us here this morning to think about. Number one, do you realize your need for Jesus? Again, Jesus cried out to the disciples at the boat, have you caught any fish? And it wasn't until they said no, they had to answer that Jesus manifested himself and provided for them. So that's step number one for each and every one of us this morning. And whatever predicament we find ourselves in, do you realize your need for Jesus Christ? Do you realize that you can do nothing apart from him, which was also said here in the Gospel of John? Because it isn't until you realize that you need him that he's going to manifest himself to you. And unfortunately, sometimes God will put us in some areas in our life that are hard so that we have to look at him, that we have to cry out to him. I mean, that's an answer. Why, why do bad things happen sometimes? It's because God is trying to wake you up, to get a hold, because he loves you so much. His love is fierce, we sung about earlier. You know, I like that other song, with Reckless Love of God. He chases you down. He hunts you down because he loves you. He's trying to get a hold of you. And some people are refusing to listen to him. You should be glad that God is trying to get a hold of you. Do you realize your need for Jesus? Secondly, for those of us who do believe, we need to understand that Jesus still satisfies our needs. Again, Jesus was a great teacher. He taught the disciples how to fish, where to put their nets, and he does the same for us today. He still provides for our needs, or he still satisfies our needs. Thirdly, we need to understand that Jesus still provides. He gives us all things that we need pertaining to life and godliness. And fourthly, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus will use our gifts for his glory. So your gifts, your talents, your times, are you using it for God's glory or are you using it for yourself? And I would just say you're missing out on so much if you're not using your talents for God's glory. You could ask anybody who serves God in any capacity and they've done it and they understand what it means, that they are blessed more than the people that they are trying to bless, so to speak. Will you use your gifts for God's glory? Because God's given them to you. He wants to use them for his glory. But you have to be willing to do it. And fifthly and lastly, God invites us or Jesus invites us to partake in what he has already prepared. He's prepared so much for each and every one of us. He's prepared that pasture of peace. He's prepared, prepared eternal life. He's prepared life abundantly for each and every person. And he invites us. We have to receive it. The disciples could have said, no, I'm good. I don't need fish. We're not told that they did. No, we would assume that they came and ate what Jesus provided. And in that, they really experienced true peace and true understanding of what it was all about. And I'd say the same holds true for each and every one of us this morning. 
Don't turn away that invitation by Jesus Christ to partake in what he has prepared. Let's pray. Lord God, we again thank you so much for this day. We personally just thank you for your word, how it is so relevant and speaks to every person in this room. I pray, Lord God, that each and every heart and eye and ear was open to hear what the Spirit had to say. And I pray that you will just meet each and every one of us where we need you. But I pray, Lord God, that we would realize that we do need you, that we are blind, that we are helpless, that we can do no good thing apart from you. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would soften the hearts of those in this room this morning, that they might cry out to you, that they might call out to you and believe in you or believe in you even more than they did when they came in this morning. And for those, Lord God, who maybe have fallen away from you, that they may realize, you know what, I, I, I need the Lord again. That they might, like Peter, jump out of the boat and swim towards you and partake of what you've provided. So I pray that this morning, Lord God. And it's in your name, amen.